guys. So today is the first Sunday in Lent, and we all know what Lent is, right? It is a season of penitence and fasting, a solemn observance in some Christian traditions that commemorates the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by Satan before beginning his public ministry. It's a time set aside for preparation, contemplation, and self-reflection, coupled with a good dose of penitence and self-denial, as we move towards the most powerful, the most mysterious, and the holiest time of our tradition, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It is a time we tend to take both too seriously and not seriously enough. We have whittled it down to simplistic acts, giving up chocolate or alcohol or perhaps flipping that narrative and taking something on like exercise or reading, all good and worthy goals, but all missing the true intention of Lent to connect these acts to God, to deepen our relationship with the holy. During Lent, we are asked to explicitly live out a part of the Christ story to reenact, as it were, Jesus' time in the desert in a symbolic way. We tend to focus on penitence and sin and temptation. Can we be as strong as Jesus was in resisting temptation? Or would we cave immediately to the temptations offered by the devil? And we test our resolve through symbolic acts of self-denial. Can I do it? Can I, like Jesus, resist temptation? But the goal isn't to be as tough as Jesus was. It's not a competition, but rather to use these symbolic acts as a reminder that God is with us, that we are already forgiven, and that we are loved. To paraphrase the invitation to a holy Lent that we read during the Ash Wednesday service, yes, it is a time for fasting and penitence, but it's also a time of pardon and absolution, a time of grace as set forth in the gospel. It is not a time for self-flagellation or judgment, but rather a time for personal reflection and committing to a deeper lived faith, to reflect on how our faith informs our lives or how, on how God's presence in our lives, God's love in our lives, impacts the decisions we make and the people that we are. On the first Sunday of Lent, our gospel lesson always tells the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness for Mark or Matthew or Luke. Today we heard the Luke version of the story. To set the stage, let's take a few steps back to Jesus' baptism towards the end of chapter 3. Remember that John the Baptist is roaming around the countryside baptizing people in the river and teaching lessons of compassionate living. If you have two coats, give one away. Don't pad your pockets which, by charging extra taxes, things like that. The people begin to wonder if John is the Messiah they have been waiting for, but John is very clear that he is not, telling them that he baptizes with water, but the one who is coming will baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. They think he's something special. They ain't seen nothing yet. And then Jesus quietly arrives. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, along with everyone else. 
But when he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Keep those words in mind as we look at this week's text so that we have the same knowledge that Jesus had as he is led into the wilderness, that he is a child of God and he is beloved. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And they wonder why. Why did Jesus need to spend this time in the wilderness resisting temptation? He went to the wilderness seemingly alone, without witness, so it was not to prove himself to the people. Did this wilderness period of struggle and temptation provide something essential to his ministry or accomplish some end that isn't immediately apparent? Was he being toughened up for the challenges that lay ahead? Did Jesus need to suffer, to struggle, to hunger, to feel pain and fear and loneliness and the depth of his being in order to be prepared for the ministry on which he was about to embark? Was God testing his mettle? Was it some sort of godly boot camp? I reject the idea that we suffer for some greater unknown purpose. Sure, our struggles make us who we are. They create the depth of our souls, our empathy, the soft spots in our hearts. Suffering also creates the harder parts, the calluses against future hurts and temptations. But that's a byproduct, not a purpose. I also reject the idea that all things happen for a reason. You ever hear that? I don't believe it. I reject the idea that there is some grand plan that we are not in on and we must simply trust. I don't believe that God causes us misery or suffering, not to teach us something and definitely not to punish us or to put us in our place. And I don't believe that God wants us to suffer. And yet, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to prepare, to reflect, to ready himself for the challenges that lay ahead. The Holy Spirit that had descended upon him like a dove led him into the wilderness. But it doesn't say the Spirit led him and then left him alone in the wilderness. This Spirit, who was connected to that voice from heaven that declared, you are my child whom I love, with you I am well pleased, that Spirit led him and was with him. And Jesus went forward into the wilderness confident that he was loved and that he wasn't actually alone. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can get through something like this. In Luke, there's not much Jesus does without the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a major character in Luke and Acts, and we're consistently made aware of its manifestation and its role in Jesus' life in our lives. We often forget about the constancy of the Holy Spirit, so Luke reminds us. 
Hungry, thirsty, and seemingly alone, the temptations begin. Jesus is offered power to rule nations, power to control the bread and food of the world, and the opportunity to defy death and take even more power from God. All these powers will be his if he will only claim his divinity openly and if he will worship the power of his tempter rather than his God. And as we witness this litany of temptations placed before Jesus by the devil, think about that loving voice and that presence of the Holy Spirit, as I am sure Jesus did himself. That loving voice and the presence of the Holy Spirit give Jesus strength to face all that is thrown at him, to resist temptation, and to stay. Jesus went into the desert with the baptismal waters of the Jordan River still clinging to him and with the name Beloved in his ears. How else could Jesus have entered the wilderness and faced the challenges that lay ahead of him? How else could he cross into the wilderness where he would have no food, no community, nothing that was familiar or comfortable and, and would have to wrestle with the devil on top of all and come out triumphant? If he did not have the knowledge that he is beloved and that he is not alone, full of the Holy Spirit, it is the true incarnation. The Spirit is ever with us and within us. That's the only way we get through something like this. And that's the same for us and for Jesus. It's easy to minimize Jesus' wilderness experience by chalking it up to his divinity, but it's not that. In this story, Jesus is very human, hungry, thirsty, lonely. It's not his divinity, some supernatural power Jesus has that gets him through. Rather, he is strengthened by the sure knowledge that the Holy Spirit was with him and that he is beloved. Where was God while his beloved son, Jesus, struggled in the wilderness? There, right there with him. He's not alone. The Spirit is with him throughout, loving and protecting and giving him strength. Perhaps it's enough to know that for all the terror the wilderness can hold, God's promised protection was there for him and is there for us too. And as we remember this, perhaps our deep remembering that we are loved and that we're not alone is enough to enable us to withstand the evil which threatens to overcome us when we find ourselves lost in our own wilderness. Where is God for us when we find ourselves in the wilderness? Can we imagine that God is at work both, is at work both for us and through us during our wilderness times, that we are also beloved and full of the Holy Spirit? I've had my share of wilderness experiences. We all have. We're human. And in the moment, they feel insurmountable, too much. But in my own life of struggle and temptation, believing that I'm loved and that God is with me, that I have not been forsaken in the wilderness, can give me strength, but often is too elusive to grab onto. I would never tell someone who is lost in the wilderness not to worry. God is with them. It's too easy, too pat, too cliche, cliche. And that easy problem isn't helpful. In fact, it often does more damage as the person suffering adds 
one more thing to the list of things that make them unworthy. I don't even trust enough or have enough faith. I'm weak. No, preaching to the suffering that God is with them is useless at best, often dangerous. Notice that the Spirit didn't declare itself and its presence to Jesus in the wilderness. It just was. And so are we. So we show up. We are with them, representing God's love for them and their worthiness. And that is the heart of what we call pastoral care, right? A ministry of loving presence. We sit with the suffering in the wilderness. We remind them that they are loved right here, right now, not through our words, but through our presence. As I was thinking about this story this week, the news was filled with stories about the brave men, women, and children of the Ukraine. The people of Ukraine are taking strength from one another from the fearless leadership of their president to the strong arms and hearts of one another and of the good people of Poland and Hungary and Moldova and Slovakia and Romania and even Russian resistors who have turned their lives upside down, often putting themselves at risk to care for more than a million refugees and counting. To all of us who pray for them and weep for them and love them, you are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God is there, right there in the faces and actions of the people, reminding them that they are loved, not through words, but through, our, through presence and through action. In our office here at the church, Jimmy's back here, uh, Jimmy has set a very different tone from one that most of us are used to. His philosophy is, my staff will get this, his philosophy is the great is always an A. I've struggled with that idea. I see my colleagues struggle with it from time to time. We can't quite believe it. It's completely countercultural. The grade is always an A. I keep waiting for that moment when he says, actually, Mary, that was B plus at best. But no, the grade is always an A. And what he's actually saying is that we live in God's grace and that we are loved, period. We are beloved, and that is incredibly freeing and revolutionary, so revolutionary that it's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes. We are loved. Really? All the time? Even when I give in to temptation? Even when I make bad choices or hurt someone? Really? Yes, we are loved. We are already forgiven. The grade is always an A. You are always beloved. So the season of Lent is not about punishing yourself for not being good enough, but it's about seeking to be your best self, not so that you will be loved, but because you are loved. And our work is, not only know, is to not only know this for ourselves, but to make sure that the people around us know it too. Because we are loved and we are better people when we know it, when we believe it, when we trust it. And that is something that we all can do for one another. During the piece today, I want you to take a minute not to just shake hands or bump hands or whatever we're doing these days, right, in person or virtually, but stop and think about what it means to know that you are loved. What does it mean to know that the person whose hand you take, whose elbow you bump, even if they are a stranger, is part of God's love in your life, that you are not alone, 
and that you are better for having that person in your life, and they are better for you. During our announcement today is the big reveal, in case you all were wondering what this thing here, this statue in the middle of the room. It's our big reveal, and as we share this theme and present you with a token to remember that theme by, I want you to think about how you are made stronger by God's love and how you manifest that love in your earthly relationships. How are you made better by knowing that the Holy Spirit is with you, that you are beloved, and that we are with you and love you too? Are you better knowing that you're loved? Are you better together with, with one another? How can you manifest God's love and be the presence of the Holy Spirit for everyone who enters into your life over the next 40 days plus some Sundays and beyond? You are invited into a holy Lent. Remember always that you, that we are loved. Amen.